Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, he's, she's, they's, and everything in between, welcome to the newest edition of the greatest film-based combat sport in the world of movie-related podcasting. It's time for Ultimate Film Combat! Taking you into this world of bloodshed, or maybe just slightly shouty conversation, is your host, Xander the Mander, who slander the tandem bikes. Backing me up along the way, ensuring there are no mistakes with what anyone is shouting about, we have someone who has changed their hair colour more times than I've changed my underpants. The potentially future real-life Batman villain, it's Alex! Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> now on to the fighters in the dirty southern corner weighing in at just over the size of a small handful of grapes a rebel who knows his cause the smoothest boy you ever done seen it's joe you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm great oh. i mean real, i'm having great fun <laughs> in the green corner a man who needs no introduction Okay, I guess I guess he does. He puts the awe in autism. Our resident expert on all things Shang-Chi. It's Amy. (laughs) Hello. I may have gone too far with this. No. And finally, in the dragon or sheep corner, depending on where you are, someone whose name only rivals my own in terms of how people's inability to pronounce it properly. It's Sebastian's biggest stan. It's Siwan! Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so today we're doing an ultimate film combat where these big nerds will be fighting it out to see who is the biggest one of them all. They'll be answering some questions and having some arguments and it shall be fun. Fighters, are you ready? No. Yeah? Fact checker Alex, are you ready? Yes. Then, let's get ready to talk about some movies! That's going to peak in the audio. That's going to peak. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be a bitch to edit. That was beautiful. I'm, I'm sweating, boys. I'm sweating. I hope your dad's annoyed by you in the room. Oh, he is. He was trying to watch the football. He's, <laughs> he's now consoling the cat. <laughs> right. So, we've got five questions, and each of them have prepared an answer and an argument. The first question is, we're just over halfway through 2023 and there have been an abundance of great movies, but what has been the best of the year so far? So, who has the answer for the best movie of 2023 so far? Joe, introduce your answer first. My best movie of 2023 is Guardians of the Galaxy 3. There's an abundance of great characters with characters we've come to... um, care about over the years it's to me the perfect end to a trilogy um there's so many heartfelt moments moments that made me cry and it's a film that really means a lot to me uh and on top of that it's got great production the costumes uh, prosthetics physical locations it just looks great and it's it's a really fun film fantastic and hamish what is your pick for best movie of 2023 so far uh mine's gonna have to be oppenheimer (laughs) <laughs> um, are you gonna back it Oppenheim- up 
I'm going to back it up because it scratches that nice little itch in my brain that every guy has to throw a big rock into a pond and watch a big splash. I have that itch. It's so amazing. do I. It's not a male thing. No, but like, it's a joke. It's a joke. Ha ha, guy, ooga booga, throw a rock. <laughs> Funny. Like, I'm not saying it's specifically guys who like to watch things blow up. It's like a... Your argument is terrible gender. so far, but continue. And Siwan, uh, what what is your pick for greatest movie of 2023 so far? My pick is going to be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, because other than the fucking working conditions, I think it's a perfect film. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, guys, I'm going to give you an undisclosed amount of time to juke this out. Um, and uh, we'll start off with Joe making his first point, and we'll go now. Um, okay, so this film is, it's not just my favourite because it's a good movie, but because it, it means so much to me and it probably means a lot to a few of us in this call. It was released at a time when we were like, we were all leaving uni, we we're all going our separate ways, um, we're not going to be in the same place as each other. And it's exactly what happens in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. They stand at the end in their circle and like, we've been together for so long. But we have to say goodbye. We have to leave each other, and for that, it, it's why the film means so much to me, and why I believe it's probably my my favorite of twenty twenty three. The the conversation is now open. So, anyone have anything to say against Joe, or more to back up your own points? How could you go against that? <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, how do we go against? I think it's, how dare you, Joe? But, but because you want to win, Suan. I think that's a beautiful uh, that's a beautiful analogy for that movie. However. And I won't detract from it, but it's like it's it's Marvel. We know we know what happens. Like we know, like we we know. Your the film's story. about history, We're, Hamish. Uh, hold on, hold on. There's a difference <laughs> between. How do I put this? I think Gar- I think Guardians is a beautiful movie, and it's touched everyone's hearts, my own included. However. It's unfortunately got the same stain on it as every other Marvel project currently does, no matter if it did phenomenally. It is still attached to the MCU, which we all know is currently banging with Secret Invasion. Like, it's still part... It's still... It's a solid piece of gold, but it's a solid piece of gold in a mound of shit. Didn't and we say that? Did we all say that it was a James Gunn movie though, and not a Marvel movie? Do you remember when we? Yeah, we did I, all say no, that. No, 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 no. Fact check. I agree. No, no, I I agree with that. However, um, does it is it or still not still part of the MCU? And is is or is it not a Marvel movie? Yeah, oh no, it is. Not that yeah, so it is. Acting. We're not talking about the MCU. We're talking about, about this film. Marvel is not the best film of 2023. No, but very unfortunately, it's got that reputation behind it. It's not got a clean reputation. It's still got a decent one, but it's not got a clean one. I think it is an excellent send-off. But when you compare it to the likes of Spider-Man, I think it does beat Spider-Man. I don't think it beats Oppenheimer. Why not? I think Oppenheimer tells a story that's never really been told in a certain light like that before. Yeah, go ahead and read a history book. But, in my own opinion, <laughs> there's very few movies that have touched on such dreadfully ethical subjects, such as the nuking of hundreds of thousands of people. And it delves straight from the mind of the man who built the bomb. 
Schindler's List. No, I said there's not many movies. I never said it's never been done before. Dunkirk. <laughs> Dunkirk's not the dropping of the nuclear bomb. Neither is Schindler's List. The boy in the, the Dark Knight Rises. No! The Dark Knight Rises is not. What a tragic event. Um, I, I haven't heard much from Siwan about the, uh, her movie. So, Siwan, talk, why, is, why is Spider-Man your choice? I'm sorry, but do, does everybody not remember that time where everybody's just sat there looking at the to-be-continued thing and just thinking, what the fuck did I just watch? Because I remember everybody just being speechless about that film. Everybody is still speechless. It's been, what, almost half a year. Everybody's still talking about it. It's coming out on digital, I think, in, like, two days. So then the hype's just going to come back up again. It had such a hype around it. I, it just... I know these two films have hype around them, but I think Hoppenheimer's kind of tied in with Barbie. And then, yes, Guardians has also hype, but the hype for, like, the, just how the ending of Spider-Man just... It was... I don't know how to say it. I just... You had to be there because everybody was hyping about it. My, 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 my response... My response to that is that although Spider-Verse is a good movie, it's half a movie. And Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is a complete movie. And also, Opp- it's the thing with these... With, well, and my argument for Oppenheimer as well is that Oppenheimer, it's got that history and it's got those characters and real people that it can fall back on. Guardians is... it's Although it's already got the comics, but they these are unique creations. It's a unique story for the film. Oppenheimer's got story and it's history. It's just going off that. You want a script, read a history book. Read Wikipedia page. If you want a Guardians movie, go watch... Go read the comics. I was Same. gonna say you could argue that because the, the the story of Guardians is like heavily based off of a comic, uh, comic story. They literally they they took it and just warped it a bit, and added like different characters into the mix. So it like they did put a spin on it. Don't get me wrong, but it does have a heavy base in the comics. Took the words out of okay. right out of my mouth. Um, Hamish, do you want to say anything more about um a uh, spider? Um, no, about Oppenheimer. About Oppenheimer? Um, I don't think I can physically squeeze it all into the short amount of time we've got. I think the Oppenheimer, cinematically as well, it's one of the best displays of practical effects we've seen in quite some time. Um, I mean, how many movies try and rec- recreate new, like a hydrogen bomb effectively? like on set <laughs> the cinematography as well is okay I'm 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 not sure if you're going to argue with me on this but it's simply better than Guardians the art of making Oppenheimer is infinitely better than the art behind Guardians what a lot about of Oppenheimer the art? goes out of focus though I don't think it was a lot out of focus Joe I think Guardians, it's these crisp camera movements. Like, you, it, like, it looks, I can't describe it, but it's stylized in a way that's like, whoa, everything feels grand in scale. And it's like, it's always crisp and in focus. Um, the colors pop. Um, and it really feels like a comic book. Mmm, Spider Verse. Okay. I'm sorry, it is literally hand drawn. It looks amazing. Yeah. 
what 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 I will give Spider Verse is I have gone back and I have rewatched both Spider Verse and Oppenheimer. I have not gone back and rewatched Guardians, despite the fact I can get it on my on my computer, I can get it on my iPad. I love the movie to death, but I don't want I don't want more of it. I don't. Right, I'm going to call that time. If I can just ask each of you to give one final point. I, well, Hamish just had, sort of had a final point there. Um, Siwan and Joe, I want to hear from you one more time, um, whether it's bigging up your movie or tearing down another one. Um, just a final comment. As good as Oppenheimer is, it's a film that's three hours long. It's one that you can't really enjoy over and over and over again because it's quite long and it's quite a distressing subject as well. Guardians although only half an hour shorter is I, it, it, I, th- I think it I, th- <laughs> I think it flies by that time and um it's although it does have dark moments you're you're happy at the end you're you're like oh I love these characters so much. It's it's a much better what like viewing experience. You're not depressed for it. You're not going Oh, millions died. You're going. Oh, this is a really cool story with characters I've come to care about. Okay, excellent. And Suwan, wrap, wrap things up. I mean, Spider Verse. You can literally see in every frame the amount of work people put into it, and it's like it just everything about it—the music, the visuals, the story—it is perfect. And you can, even though you, Joe says it's half a film, you can still sit there and enjoy that half of the film. But with, you know, with Guardians, there's an entirety of, like, everything before it. And then Oppenheimer, like Joe said, I enjoyed it. But there is so, like, it is such a distressing film and it is long. It's just, it doesn't take away from it. But I just think that Spider-Verse, everything about it, it was just perfect. And that's why I think it's the best. I, I would like to call okay. that I didn't know I was making a final statement. Might I make a final statement? Okay, go for it, Hamish. Um... I think both of your points on yes, that different movies do different things, and if you are going in to watch Oppenheimer hoping to come out with a feel-good feeling, you need a bit of a shake um, to compare both of the movies and be like, ooh, I felt so great after watching Spider-Verse, and then be like, wow the topic of nuking like a country really put me down in the dumps like, I don't think that's a bit of a fair comparison Okay, we'll call it then those are some really strong points. Thank you very much. Uh, Alex, was there anything you wanted to uh, to call out in terms of facts? Yeah. Uh, Hamish, Hamish lied when he said that he never had the urge to go back and see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 because he tried to pester me for two weeks straight to go and watch that film again. And I said, and Ooh. I said no. And I said no. May I counter? No. No, it's over. I'm kidding. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Um, I'm that, not, I'm, oh! Hang on, this is gonna get cut out. Whatever you say, it's gonna get cut out. So. It was during the hype, the hype wave of the movie. So yeah, at the end of it, yeah, of course I'm gonna turn around and ask you that. But since then, no, I haven't felt the urge. Yeah, but so I, I'm but when you said that you never wanted after seeing it once, you never wanted to go back and see it. You said that's a lie. That's a lie. I did also, however, skip out on going and watching it again with Joe and Sawan. Yeah, I think so I think perhaps, that was because so, so perhaps were I there any have, other facts? I should change my wording. I do apologize. 
were there any other facts that needed to No, to be honest, they're, they're all correct. I mean, it's, it's, well, I mean, not correct. I have my own personal opinions, but it's, it's, it's interesting how all of these films are, have been released in the past three months. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a, we've had a, we've been really blessed this summer with a lot of good movies. Yeah. Um, what, what's been your favorite so far this year? Me? Yeah. Oh God. Um, I, I liked Extraction too. Extraction two was good. Extraction two was good. For me, for me, my choice would have either it would, it's between a couple. Um, Oppenheimer would be one. Mm. Um, Spider Man would be another, and uh, I think Talk to Me, that new horror film that just came out, was really good. But in terms of the arguments, I think Siwan Siwan came up late. Um, start start off a little bit slow, but got into it towards <laughs> the end, which was really good to see. Um, but I think. Uh, who do you think deserves the point, Alex? Oh, no, don't. It's not going to change my opinion, but who do you think deserves the uh, point? Okay, just based on, like, arguments made, um, yep. it, I'd go with Suwan. You'd go with Suwan? Just based on the arguments that she presented. Oh, thank you. Okay. Not that I agree, um, but she presented good arguments. I actually think there were, there were some more interesting points and a little bit more passion... From Joe with Guardians 3. So I'm going to give that point to Joe. Very good. Joe wins the first round. Um, yeah, I, I really like the passion. So Joe wins the first round. We'll move on to the second round, which is, as we all know, the rules of film classification means that if your movie is rated 12 or PG-13 in America, then it can only contain one use of strong language. But what is the best use of strong language in a 12 or PG-13 movie? So this is a movie that was rated 12 or PG-13 in America, and it contains one use of the word fuck. So who said fuck the best? Uh, Hamish, uh, your uh, what, what did you go with? The first Anchorman movie, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Legend of Ron I, Burgundy. I, I ask this to the floor real quickly. Who here has watched Anchorman? Sadly. Xander, Joseph, I think everyone. Alex. Excellent. So you'll know what kind of a crack-filled masterpiece it is. No. That movie uh, isn't... No. Okay. Second it's book. evident that the... Yeah, no, I agree. But it's evident the pair of you just hate fun. Um, that movie's use of fuck comes in the... I want to say the catalyst for the downfall of Ron Burgundy as he looks to the teleprompter, and we are very clearly showing just how much of a dumb piece of shit newscasters really can be. Whenever they look, he looks directly at it and goes, go fuck yourself, San Diego. Or, sorry, San Diego. Uh, and from then, all hell breaks loose. He is fired. Uh, there are mobs of people, like, screaming in the street for his head. And my favorite, someone who works the desk in the studio walks in and starts crying to him and starts demanding why he let the poop come out of his mouth and calls him a poopy fed and a poopy mouth. And I think it sums up the humour of Anchorman so excellently in that split second. And for a PG-13 movie, there are so much worse things that go on in that movie, like the Sex Panther-like cologne... Like, yeah. genuine bits of panther are used in this. Like, I think it sums up the sheer absurdity of it so nicely. 
Okay, fantastic. Siwan, what is your pick? Uh, my pick for the best use of the word fuck in a PG-13 film is Guardians of the Galaxy 3 when um, okay. Peter tells Nebula to just open the fucking <laughs> door. <laughs> what? You really liked Outlove. Oh. Turned into Megatron for a second. We'll, we'll, sorry, we'll sorry, it, sorry for we'll laughing. Hear it in the thing. Do, okay. We'll hear it in the thing. Um, do, is there any? Are there any reasons behind it? Well, because not like not only is it like a f- like that's the first use of fuck in the MCU. So that's fifteen years worth of films, and they haven't done it, which is fine. But it's the fact that it's just the most mundane way of doing it. But it's the most natural. Like she's trying to open a door and she can't, and you know he goes through it with her. And she's there like, okay, what do I do next? And he's like, you just open the fucking door. It's the most natural use of it. And it works. It doesn't take away from the story. It's like, it's just what everybody else would do. You're opening a door. So just open the door. So that's why I think it's the best one. Because it doesn't, like, it's not a big thing about it. It's just what everybody would say because of the situation it's presented in. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, what is your pick? So my pick is a film I watched recently called Crazy Stupid Love. Um, basically, uh, Ryan Gosling's character takes, or uh, more accurately, Emma Stone's character takes uh, Ryan Gosling's character to uh, back to his house, and the idea is that they they're gonna have sex. And he, she's like, take your top off, and he takes it off, and she, the only swear word in the film is she goes, fuck. As soon as he takes his top off, she's like, fuck, seriously? You're f- it's like you're photoshopped. Which I think is such a perfect reaction for if you saw Ryan Gosling's ripped body. <laughs> so that's why it's my pick. Okay, fantastic. Um, I'll start the timer now. And who has anything to tear down someone else's or big up their own again? Go for it. I'm a little... Like, I, I'm not really... I, I, I have bias here. I'm not really convinced in, like, Joe's argument of just, it's what you'd say if you saw Ryan Gosling shirtless. I mean, I've I got just, Kennedy at the moment. The I'm, man- I'm watching loads of film Ryan Gosling's in, and I watched him in that, and I, I don't, like, I, I, his chest is kind of in Barbie. But like, in this, it's, like, full display, and it's like, how? So this how is, is this just possible? Joe having a crush on Ryan Gosling. That's yeah. just biased. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a magnificent man. Hi, Ryan, if you're listening. But, um... Hi, Ryan. <laughs> I try. Hi. Um, I but, but, like, you know, I'd, compared to myself and Sawan's arguments, I don't think it's got the the weight. I just think that, he, you know, this man's body is so tremendous and awe-inspiring that it broke the PG rating. <laughs> And incited the use of a fuck word. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, but I... is it? Like, did you shed yeah, a like, tear? Like, okay, like... if I took my top off, no one would say <laughs> fuck. They'd go, uh huh. But Ryan Gosling, they'd be like, fuck. Oh my god. You know. Yeah, but is Emma it a... Stone literally broke through the PG rating just to just to go. Oh my god, say her true feelings about Ryan Gosling's. Basically, perfect body. What I think you're hyper. Emma improvise it. Yeah, was it, it improvised? It would be funny if it was. I, I think I, I think you've is. got a point if it was improvised, but like, I don't know. Um, what what about you two? Anything else to add to your own? I had something to say, but I don't fucking remember. 
Um, Distracted by Ryan Gosling's body. No, <laughs> I had something about Anchorman, but I don't remember what it is now. Someone else I'm say something. It's not a very funny film. Um, yeah, it's not a funny film. Uh, uh, well, Anchorman's not a funny film? It's not, I'm sorry. What kind of... Um, the, by the way, this argument is not based on the quality oh, of yeah, the yeah, film. Yeah. It sorry. is based on the yeah. quality of the use of the word. I would also like the fact checker to, however, point out that at the end that Anchorman is indeed a funny film. Anyway, Subjective! Um, Bias. You're wrong. Anyway, uh, I mean, like, the entire scene just sums up the sheer... like It, it sums up the character of Ron Burgundy, the sheer absurdity of America, the absurdity of, like, the satire which is which it is, like, running on, which is cable news of the 90s and 80s. It's, like, this meth-fueled, this drug-fueled, like, immortality rampage. Is it? Like, yeah! What, the, him the saying fuck are... you, San Diego? No, no, but the whole thing is that Ron Burgundy is immortal. But news it's the use of then, the fuck. Is he? Yeah, and let me get there. I'm cooking. Okay. The 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 idea of Ron Burgundy that he is immortal, and it's back then people pretty much worshipped the news, and it's a commentary on what would happen if, in this hyperbolized America, their god effectively turned round and said, "Fuck you," and it also it runs nicely on how stupid he is. It's. It's not out of character. It's a gag that is like continued even into the second movie with how like gullible he is and how controlled he is by his own network, which is satire in his own right because he controls the masses. All he needs to do is step in front of a camera and say things and people will follow him and he says, fuck you and the world explodes. His entire world crumbles. The thing with that though is that in the film, there's a shot earlier of them sort of tampering with the auto cue, so you know the F word is coming. Basically, you know something's going to happen. With the other two, it literally the the scene with the car and guardians that comes out of nowhere. It's well, just, you, you do not expect that. And then with you, mine, you do not expect her to suddenly go fuck. Like well, both of those are out of nowhere. With that, it's sort of like you set don't up. Know, you don't know it's a fuck coming, but you know something's coming. With the others, okay. it's just out of nowhere. Okay, but like, in yours, for instance, Ryan Gosling is taken back to the house. It's a sex scene. We all know Ryan Gosling's gonna pull off his shirt and she's gonna go, Oh my god! Like, no, but they even mention in the film, we're not gonna have the PG-rated version of the night. They, there's a meta-acknowledgement of it. So it's funny that along with that, you have her breaking, well, you have her saying the F-word. I mean, it was acknowledged as well, though, in Anchorman's making, that there were six other uses of fuck all in one scene that were all removed from the movie, and they fought to keep the fuck in. Yeah, but th those aren't in the film, those other six. No, so they're that, not, I, but... I want to hear more from Suan. Suan, what have you got to say about yours? Or say about anyone else's? Um... Well, I don't know. I haven't seen Anchorman in God knows how long. I don't fucking remember it. I haven't seen Crazy Stupid Love. I haven't seen it, so I don't know how effective the fuck is. But yeah, I guess, like, it's... A dude takes off his shirt. That's what people say. It's like, it's the joke. Oh, he's got a good body. Let's just say fuck. I can't particularly argue against Anchorman because I haven't seen it. I don't remember it. I don't particularly care about it. But, like, it's just how 
but they all seem to be like a setup. It's a scene. It's what people would say to get a laugh. Yes, in Guardians, it's a laugh, but it's not like it's out of place. It's, it's just what a person would say, and that's why it fits most, and that's why it's not like, oh, they use. It's just how it's used. Like all the other two, it's like a setup. Yes, it's just what they would do in a film, or that's what you know. It's for the laughs, and yes, this one is for the laughs, and I'm just repeating myself at this point because I don't know what to say, but it's... Yeah, I'm just repeating, so I'm just going to stop. I, I, I will say, when, when I rewatched Guardians 3 with my mum and dad the other day, they hadn't seen it before, the, the fuck scene came up, and they usually hate the word, but it, it obviously didn't stand out to them because they didn't mention it at all. It just kept watching with a straight face, so obviously it wasn't that effective of uh, use of the F word. Why do you have to bring I... up every time somebody says fuck? You don't have no, to always bring we it do up. I have to like, oh, language. Like, say if someone. In yeah, the because house it fit it, into like, the oh, scene so I'm... much. It's just the most natural yeah, reaction. I... They don't need to I... bring it up. That means it doesn't stand out. It's I... like. How do you know? If it doesn't stand out. What was the point in I... using it? Because I, I would. Okay, it. we're gonna. I... Um, Hamish's point is gonna be the last point here. Uh, okay, I would like to point out that the question is how fuck is used and how is it best used. Joe's. I'm. In my own opinion, mate, it's someone pulling off a shirt and looking at Ryan Gosling, and we all know someone's going to be like, oh, fuck. But, like, you know, I think I completely vibe with Sawans, which is, like, the frustration of trying to open a car door. Someone's telling you how to open a car door, but it's not working, and so you just scream, fuck. But I'm biased. My point drives the entire plot forth of the movie. It's the fall of Ron Burgundy. It's what the film follows. Yours is hit someone screaming fuck. They're two different things, but how is fuck used? And that'll do it. Some really good points there. Alex, anything to fact check on? Um, I mean, I'm biased because I love Anchorman, but like categorically speaking, it is a comedy. That's not me saying it's funny. That's not me saying it's funny because it's a comedy because there's a lot of comedies that are not funny. Uh, holy bit. hell, there's a lot. I think we've got one later on. Oh, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, would you have any any shouts for this answer? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think about it before, but I guess I've seen all three, and they're all really, really good. And I think they're all really good fuck moments. But um, I mean, I've got to agree with Hamish when he says like the reason that they say fuck that drives the whole that that drives the film forward. Like the fuck is used in such an effective way that. That, like, that's his downfall. So, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like Hamish was the one to beat here and no one could really match it. Um, ha Hamish is going to get the point and simply for the fact that his... He, he said it. His drives the plot along. I was waiting for him to say that exact sentence the whole time and he finally said it in his final point that it drives the plot forward and that's probably why it's the, the best use um, so, and I, I didn't get really anything from you guys to properly tear down his argument. Um, so Hamish is going to get the point on that one. Uh, but all three are good choices. Um, just as an extra, a good choice would have also been uh, Fast Five. Because The Rock says it, and that is the introduction to his character. And he says, stay the fuck out of my way. Just... Anyway, yeah. um, we'll move on to the third round. The 2020s were off to a rocky start due to the pandemic, and the movie industry took a hit. 
The superhero genre was top of its game, but now we seem to be fatigued as an audience, and this was not helped by an abundance of bad or mid superhero movies releasing. But what was the worst? So what has been the worst superhero or comic book movie released so far in the 2020s? And Siwan, you got to answer first. Um, I'm going to go with Wonder Woman 1984 because Ooh. simply I don't think that film has any redeeming qualities and that comes from someone who absolutely adores Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, Joe, what would be your pick? Mine is for Love and Thunder. You know your film is bad when your main character annoys you whenever he's on screen. And also, it, it may not be... Some people may not view it as the worst, but in terms of missed opportunities and serving characters to their full potential, this is the worst example of that. Okay, and Hamish, what was your pick? Uh, my pick is We Can Be Heroes, um, <laughs> which is a... Like, just like Anchorman, a fever dream of a movie with a fantastic cast which I'm not so sure why they've all signed on to this movie but they're here and they're doing things <laughs> okay well we've got Wonder Woman 1984 Thor Love and Thunder and We Can Be Heroes all battling out for the worst of the 2020s Go at it. Your time starts now. One thing I will say about We Can Be Heroes is that it's a kid's film. The other two are, you know, what comic books are. But We Can Be Heroes is exclusively a kid's film and is a sequel to Sharkboy and Lavagirl. Now, the only reason I wanted to see it was because Pedro and because it's a sequel to that film, which I loved in my childhood. Now I've looked back at it, it's absolute trash. The kids that were, you know, were meant to see We Can Be Heroes will probably do the same as I did about that film. They probably enjoyed it because it's a kid's film. They will look at it and think, oh yeah, it's actually quite shit, but that's what it is. The actors, don't know why they signed up for it, but it's, you know, it's a fun kid's film. You can't say, oh yeah, it's the worst one. It's going to be, it's a fucking kid's film. The other two, however, Thor, it's Marvel. You know what they're trying to set up. And though I absolutely detest the film, it has redeeming qualities in Christian Bale's portrayal of gore and the black and white bits. That entire sequence is actually beautiful, very well done, and it's just, it kind of redeems the film a tiny bit. I have nothing to redeem about Wonder Woman. Everything is shit. They fucking, I don't know, they ruined Diana. She's not even, you know, her little naivety's, you know, nice to see in this one. It's just annoying. She's hijacked a dude. They've brought back Chris Pine for absolutely no fucking reason. Genuinely, give me a reason why he's back. It takes away from him dying in the first one, and he's actually in a dude's body, and she's, you know... It's actually a bit dodge how they use that dude. Because, you know, the actual person whose body's in it, he's not in charge. He's not... He can't do anything about himself. So, dodge. Christian Wig, bless her, she's trying. Pedro's trying, but there's nothing to it. And the ending is just absolute trash. The other two have reasons to be trash. Well, no, they did. Thor doesn't, but it has redeeming qualities. This one, fucking shit. <sighs> in defense in defense of Hamish's movie, I I think the argument to play it down because it's a kids movie isn't a good one because there are some good true. kids movies. I mean, I think with also also Hamish's, I had a lot of I don't know why I'm big enough Hamish's. I had a lot of fun 
it may be a bad movie, but it's like one of those so bad it's fun. Did you have fun with Wonder Woman? It's not a bad movie. Exactly. I did. There's fun with me. Where? Pedro's. Wait, so that's a bad point for Hamish. Okay, that's a bad point for Hamish. Sorry. It's a kids' film, Um, but it has the charm. Oh, okay. So, first of all, uh, I'll I'll address your argument, Suan. It's a kids' movie. However, it is a sequel to a a movie that Sharkboy and Lava Girl. Alex, as fact checker, can I ask you to check when Sharkboy and Lava Girl came out? Yep. Um, th- this can be this. We can come back to this at the end. Oh, okay, so the children that grew up with Shark Boy and Lava Girl are inherently going to watch the sequel to Shark Boy and Lava Girl, whilst its age demographics target primary audience is definitely children. So is Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls's primary target audience was children, and that 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 series is a heartbreaking ride just because it's a kids movie it doesn't mean it should be relegated to oh but it's allowed to be bad i'm not saying that's it's what allowed to said. be bad i'm just saying I, I i think as a side note as well just like yes it's so bad it's good but people treat that treat movies like the room with the same reverence not that it's good but we hold like Bristol Bad Film Club Society or Film Club run entire events around going and watching The Room. There's still enjoyment to be had from bad movies. Now, inherently, what is the worst of these three movies? Uh, I'll direct you to the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes for all three of them. Um, where We Can Be Heroes has the worst rating from the audiences, aside from critics. Check um, critics. By... Who has the worst critics score? Because I have done that homework. Critic um, score. Al- okay, Alex, if you can be fact checking those during the argument. Um, critic scores is Wonder Woman. That's fair. However, critics have also been paid, and as someone who has gone to critic screenings, you usually give it a decent review so you can get brought back. That is that is a bias factor, and to compare solely based off critics, I think is uh, a cherry picking results rather than just the wider audience scores. Um. We Can Be Heroes has a phenomenal cast um, that somehow do nothing. Um, like, I, I don't know what else to say. I've, I've, we've mentioned the movie on the podcast before along with Secret Headquarters, and I'm convinced that, like, some phone calls from agents were made, and, like, some favors were called in, and very unfortunately, this, like, massive cast were dragged in by the scalps. And thrown onto the set of this movie. <laughs> I. Thor. I, I don't like the black and white sequences. That's fair. I don't think I, they're my great. Bi- I, as I mean, my biggest issues with Thor is that, you know, we've, we, we've come to care about these characters and then they just let down so much in that there are so many missed opportunities. Like you have Jane's cancer storyline, which I don't think is sort of treated. No, properly. it's not. No. Um, and like there was, there's a missed opportunity with that. She like after she died, Star um, Thor could have gone back to go see Star Lord, whose mother died of cancer. That's such a good story point. You've got all these connecting things. They don't do it. It's the worst because we've come to care about these characters and we're so let down. We've come to care about the director who directed Ragnarok, which is also such a great movie. And we've gone into this thinking it's going to be great. We've got all these great characters. It's going to be so funny, like Ragnarok. 
and it's not. It's it's just silly and cringy. Four is just annoying every time he's on screen. He's this whiny little guy who's trying to get over Jane, but he's doing it in a really weird way. And Korg is annoying, one of our fan favourites from Ragnarok. He's He doesn't need to be there. So although I, I get some of the points you've made... In terms of missed opportunities, this is such a bad film and it's such a bad representation I, of characters we've come to care about. I think the three things these movies have in common are missed opportunities. Yes. Um, Joe, completely correct. As someone who loves Thor's comics, like, yes, definitely. I think it's a painfully bad missed opportunity. I think Maxwell Lord... I think that the the thing that limits Sawans on the missed opportunity on my geek side is that the setting of Wonder Woman 1984 as a given limits the likes of Maxwell Lord, limits the likes of Cheetah. Like, these are all modern day villains that don't really do well in that setting, but it's not like they're well, Cheetah's underused on screen, but Maxwell Lord does some shit. That that man like completely breaks the world. I I think he's a pretty decent villain, and by the end of the movie, he has a redemption because he does everything for his child. I think his character is a pretty decent arc, all things considered. I think to say Pedro is wasted in that is an understatement. I'd say also with Fallout. Can we fun, have uh, some? Sorry, joke. Uh, can we make these final points, please? Thank you. Uh, j- just quickly, um, with. Wonder Woman 1984, the soundtrack's really good. Yes. And for Love and Thunder, I, why have they given four another theme? This is like its fourth one, and I, I literally cannot remember any tracks from it. It's unforgettable. Like, Michael Giacchino did the score, and it's not good. It's just sort of there. I... My clo- unless someone yeah, wants to do cl- closing, arguments. closing argument, do you, or... Uh, not you. You go whoever, first. Whoever's next, go. Um, I haven't really spoken too much from mine. I've spoken about others. Um, I think We Can Be Heroes is an excellent example of, just because it's a kid's movie, it doesn't have to be bad, but this most certainly is. Um, it is a flaming dumpster fire that, it has the fun factor, but it's a superhero movie. They can be good, and they should be good, because people deserve good movies. It's secondary target audience is adults who grew up with that movie <laughs> like oh like you know like it's not even properly linked there's not even like <laughs> they didn't even give it the decency of doing actual writing they just went shark boy and lava girls in it and they that was it like <laughs> that's the only thing connecting them because if you've watched the original shark boy and lava girl aren't real people they're dreams <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> right, final point from Suwan. Um, in regards to Wonder Woman, it's it's just it doesn't do anything for Diana's character. It doesn't even do anything for the larger DCU, whatever the fuck they were trying to do at the point. Like it doesn't add to anything, anything to do with Diana in you know the films that are after 1984. It just completely ruins most of the emotional impact of the first one. I just, yeah, I don't know. It, I, do, I don't think it's a good film. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. Um, Alex. Yeah. Was there anything to? Yeah. Check? So if we're talking, I, 
excuse me, if we're talking IMDb scores, Thor Love and Thunder actually comes out the best. Um, and We Could Be Heroes comes out the worst. So that's fair. But, I mean, it's the same again on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, for the, like, Tomato Meter. Actually, that's a lie. I just lied. Tomato Meter, We Could Be Heroes is the highest. With what? 74%. Oh, wow. Eight, um, Wonder Woman is uh, 58. What about the average rating? So if you're on the site, press on the tomato. And it'll come up with an average rating. Mm. So for We Could Be Heroes, it's six. I don't know how this website works, bro. <laughs> I never use this. Uh, Joe, you have a question? I know, I was just going to say, uh, I, I just watched an episode of Inside Number 9 with Reece Shearsmith where they say that they don't make their stuff to be scored on Rotten Tomatoes. So, like... That's this, okay, but it's, it's, a, it's a metric. Taken? It's a metric to be used. It's a metric people use. And okay. the average score for um, Wonder Woman 1984 was 6.1, which would make it normally fresh. And um, for is 6.4 what was we can be heroes 5.8 or 6.0 they were all so fucking close very close (laughs) who do you think won that argument um i think i mean hamish definitely lost it because you can't turn around and say that this film is the worst film ever but i really enjoy watching it i mean you can but in the context of this argument and this question (laughs) i don't think you can um, I didn't say that. No, but that's like summarizing. Although a summarizing statement of your argument. Um, you were saying it's so bad. It's yeah, that's what you said. No, I said I, I said this. there are movies that can do that. It shouldn't mean like that, that objectively nullifies the argument that they're bad. Shut up, I'm the fact checker. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna go with Joe because like I agree. There is so there was so much hype for that film, and we were so excited going into it. And it just turned out to be this awful dumpster fire where nobody wanted to watch it. So. This was really close. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through my thoughts. So Hamish, on paper, I haven't seen that movie, <laughs> but I can only imagine it was awful. So in my head, before this started, I was like, okay, Hamish is the one to beat. Um, Hamish came out a little bit slower than everyone else. And Siwan some passion i love it absolutely love it and then siwan went quiet for about five minutes and there was absolutely nothing and they these guys are just tearing you apart um so joe was very consistent but i think in terms of the initial that initial bit of passion i'm gonna give siwan the point because there was so much passion in that in that close to opening statement that siwan won me over immediately and I've got myself rethinking now because I remember seeing that and thinking it was pretty boring, but I can't remember anything about it. Um, so I'm gonna give the point to Siwan, which beforehand I did not think I would be doing. Thank you. So well done, Siwan. Good argument. Joe has been robbed. Can I just say I absolutely hate this. I don't want to fight next time. Can I be the fact checker next time? Oh, I'll <laughs> fight. I will fight. I don't, I don't like fighting. So, we'll move on to round four. And this one is a fun one. So, with the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 earlier this year, 
we have been reminded what power a great movie soundtrack has. Without mentioning the previous Guardian soundtracks, what movie has the best soundtrack? And that does not mean score. So this is a licensed soundtrack that has songs in it. So Guardians has like the Jackson 5 song from the first one. You cut. This is what we're talking about, the soundtrack. So the needle drops. What movie has the best needle drops? Uh, Joe, go Hello. first. What so mine choice? so mine is super bad. Um, the reason I chose this is because it, although it doesn't have the most recognisable songs, they're all so incredibly catchy and underrated songs. They don't rely on the sort of their well-known songs to be good. They're they're good in their own right, um, and they they they're really fitting into the film and the narrative as well. And it really it matches the movie. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, Hamish, what is your pick? I have gone for the Transformers 1984, 1986, I do apologize, trademarks, uh, 1986 movie, um, because it has got some absolute banging tunes, such as The Touch, Dare to be Stupid, and Dare. I, I'll, I'll get to that argument, but I'll pass. Not one over. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, no, Siwan, what is your pick? Um, my pick is Shrek 2, who I think, you know, it's simply to say that the film, the film itself is iconic, but the songs in the film, there's an entire generation who associate the songs in those films to that film. Like, you, if you instantly play a few of those songs, people are instantly going to think, oh, that's Shrek. It's just, it's such a well-known soundtrack that goes perfectly with the film and the vibe of the film that I just think it's the best one. Fantastic. Okay, so we've got Superbad, Transformers the movie, and Shrek 2. Um, who wants to kick off the argument? Your time starts. And I don't remember a single song in either of the other two films, I will say that now. <laughs> Sorry. I will I will also turn around and say the my my movie that I've picked um, can be applied exactly to your argument of the people from that generation will associate those songs with that movie because some of them were even made for that movie um, so I can say the exact same thing and I'm sure I can get Xander's dad singing along in the background because <laughs> he he, he's the type of generation he grew up in that movie all I gotta start saying is you got the touch and he will scream you've got the power like, I mean, Shrek Two is it's 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 one to beat. I wouldn't be surprised if Xander's marked that as the one to beat because I've never watched Super Bad, um, and I've never really been interested in watching Super Bad. I've oh. never heard about Super Bad's soundtrack. No, neither ever. have I. Um, I don't ever hear people go, "Oh, it's the Super Bad song." To be honest, though, I say the same with the Transformers movie, like. I, I didn't know what songs would be in it. I literally thought it would just be like a stereotypical soundtrack. I didn't know there were like a score. I didn't realize there'd be actual songs in it. Um, the thing with mine is that when I watched it, it's one of the one of the few films where um, like I love scores, but it's one of the few films where I've gone, I love that soundtrack. I'm going to add a load of them to my Spotify. And like uh, like as I mentioned before, these were songs I hadn't heard before. So Shrek Two, you've got I Need a Hero and songs like that which have also been featured in lots of other films before which means that it's not as it's not as um unique 
to that film but with Superbad a lot of the films as you say maybe you haven't heard of them before but they're good in their own right they're unique and they're they're really great songs like there's a range of music from the 60s to the 80s and they're they're really great tracks and ones that I listen to frequently on Spotify I will say I've seen Superbad like what a month ago I don't remember a single song in it and we saw Transformers a few months before and I still don't remember a single song in that like I know the film like the film obviously the generation in the 80s but like the songs I didn't you know there was nothing about the songs in that film that I just went oh yeah that's an iconic one to this film and similar with Superbad I I try I've tried to think but I do not remember a single song that was in it the thing with Transformers is I was like oh it's another song okay we get it that was my sort of feeling watching it I like the film but it was like, oh, we've got another another 80s song or 80s, 90s, whatever. I mean, it's from the 80s and 90s, though, so I think that's a bit unfair. I know, but, like, I watch As... films from the 80s. I'm like, yeah, these are some great tracks, like Flash Gordon. You've got some great tracks in that. But with this, it was like, oh, here comes another track. We've got another. It, it always felt like a montage, if that makes sense, but with it's... the music that was used. But by that argument, it's kind of looking at, like, a car from the 80s and 90s and being like, why can't it go from 2 to 500, like, 2 to 200 in this amount of time? It's not going to. It doesn't, it wasn't around to have that blend of music back then. I will to, like, say have they'll... all these, like, other, like, contemporary and 80s tracks blended in, like Shrek... From what I remember, it, like they all seem, all the songs in the Transformers film seem to be the same. Like, they seemed very same. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's that they were, but they just seem to be the same sort of song. There's so many different songs from the '80s and '90s that you know they sound different, but they didn't use it. They just say they just went for ones that sounded the same. And I'll agree with Joe. It, it felt like a montage. I on the. Can I defend? Yeah. Um, it's because the top three songs in that were written by... Two of them were written by the same guy. One of them was written by Weird Al um, for the movie as well. All of the songs were created for that movie. The Touch, Dare, Stambush and Weird Al. Uh, like, the, the pair of them worked on that movie. And I, it's... I think it fits the vibe of the movie. I think if we're looking at it in regards to what movie has the best soundtrack. I mean, Xander, do you mind repeating the question exactly? Uh, the question exactly was, without mentioning the previous Guardian soundtrack, what movie has the best soundtrack? So the movie soundtrack itself, I okay, I know nothing on Superbad. I can't speak on Superbad aside from the fact I've never heard of its soundtrack. Um. I, I will contend with Sawan on that um, because I think Shrek has a wonderfully iconic set of soundtracks but I also think they are songs that are used in every like bit of media it is like those songs have bounced around so many other movies like yes it is Shrek but you've got hundreds of other people that will go but it's also that movie and it's also that movie and it's also that movie is it really that iconic for Shrek if it's being used in hundreds of other movies? I know for a f I actually I'm not going to say I know for a fact cuz Alex going to fact check it I assume. But I've never heard Stan Bush's The Touch, Dare to be Stupid or Dare in any other movie. To I my hadn't knowledge. heard it anywhere other than that film. Yeah, 
So it is unique to that movie. Yeah, no, as in I'd it never heard the song. To that movie. Even if it's unique though, doesn't mean it's necessarily a good song. Yeah. I mean, I invite um, you to go listen to them. I mean, that's the thing. I didn't want to listen to it after the film. I didn't feel obligated to do that. You only watched with the Superbad. film because it was my birthday. I know, but I enjoyed the film. I didn't enjoy the. I didn't enjoy the soundtrack. The, the problem um, I have. The, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, go on, Joe. You were mid. I was say the problem I have with C1's decision is a lot of the songs in that film are covers of the original songs. Oh, so that's very true. Changes originally by David Bowie, sang by someone else. I need a hero. Um, I think originally sang by Bonnie Tyler, was it? In this, it's Jennifer Saunders. But in Superbad, they are the original songs sang by the original people. They are, they are, yeah, the original songs. They were so good, those songs, that they kept them in. They didn't create new versions of them for the film. And yet I remember I... a single, n- n- I don't remember a single one of them. What 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 are the songs in Superbad? Because you haven't actually said what yeah. the songs are. The thing is, with Shrek, so you they... know the songs! That's the my whole point. I haven't said a single song, and yet you know what the soundtrack is exactly. I I don't know. The I mean, some of my songs some of my favorites from the film is "I'm Your Boogeyman," which I literally That's what I am. Sorry. I literally like used my Spotify to connect it to my family's home when I was in uni, and my mum sent a video of her dancing. If that's not proof that it's a good song, and also there's "Too Hot to Handle" part one, which is used in the intro of the, of the film, which is such a great track to start the film with. It really puts you in the mood of like this teen film. I I'm gonna match that with the fact that. I mentioned the Transformers G1 movie, and Xander's dad began singing all the songs and pacing around. Because of that song, the man then proceeded to ditch what he was doing, went upstairs, and watched the movie whole on YouTube. I think, from my movie standpoint, it's in a niche, and I recognize that it's in a niche, but that shouldn't make it any less iconic or good to those who enjoy the movie. Can we have some closing arguments? And I'd like to hear from Siwan first. <laughs> Why? Because I haven't heard from you in a while. Um. Uh, I really hope Joe wouldn't have fucking said the cover one. Because I knew. Because I don't know if that well, clarifies. I don't know if that counts as being in the soundtrack or something. But it's still. No. It doesn't change exactly. Anything. It's still a part of the, you know, the soundtrack for the film. It doesn't take any way, anything from the story. If anything, it adds to the film. Every song in the film adds to what you're seeing on screen. The whole Jennifer Saunders holding up for a hero. Tell me that is not an iconic set like bit. It adds to it. Funky Town when they're going through Happily Ever After. You feel like it is a funky town. Every song that they add in that. Shush, you know what I mean? Shush! Shush, shut up! It just. It's called Funky it's Town not, and they a funky It's town. not just like added for the sake of having a song in the background. It adds to what is happening on screen. Yeah. Okay. Um, final points from Joe and Hamish, if you have one. Well, I think I just want to reiterate that. Um, it, the main thing for me is it, it doesn't play it safe by relying on tracks that are in lots of other movies maybe that's why you haven't heard them before but if you watch the film for me they've got some really great unique tracks that are rarely used but they're so good that you know I've added so many to Spotify they're not covers they're the original tracks um, and they really add to the film they really match the vibe of the film this student film which of going to parties and like at the, at the parties you have these great songs that play people are boogieing 
and you've got I'm your boogeyman playing, and it's it like that's what I am. Yeah, that's what I am, and that's what McLovin's doing. He's boogieing. This is his moment. So yeah. Hamish, any final um, points? If we're talking about songs that add and and match what's going on in the scene, um, Dare is all about daring to break free of the norm, daring to challenge what's given to you. If you listen to the lyrics, the um, no, it is because it's. I mean, it plays with the young rebel hot rod at the start. He smashes through a stop sign. He. Like, he goes up a closed road and actively defies his elders who are telling him to stop, um, which are the construction crew, um, to which he then proceeds to fire on a shuttle that no one else would. Um, furthermore, then you got the touch, which is all, which is about rising to become what you can be, because you've got the touch, you've got the power. Um, it's about never stopping to fight either, which in both times that is played, because it's played twice, and that song is fucking phenomenal. Um, it is about overcoming the evil. And then you've got Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al, which is a chaotic song, and it matches the chaos on screen so perfectly with the Junker Cons. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, guys. Good arguments, good points. Alex, was there anything to fact check? There was. So it turns out the touch has been used in one other film. Okay. And... It's not what I thought it would be. It's Boogie Nights featuring Mark Wahlberg, which was oh, a which is a film which was released in 1997 about a young teenager who becomes a porn star. So that's the <laughs> film. Mark Wahlberg stars in it, and it Mark John Favreau. Yeah, he is, and it features the touch as well. But by that, yeah, you're correct. So he's only been in those two films. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Um. I'm I'm really I'm really struggling here. Alex, nah, um, who, easy. Who, what do you think? If I was gonna, because I've looked at the track list, if I was gonna look like sit down, put on a song and like listen to it and have fun, it'd be the Transformers one. Like just based off of like songs that I love, it it's the Transformers one. The, the songs in the other two are iconic as well. Don't get me wrong, but. Yeah, but if we're talking on memorabilia, not not memorabilia, memorability. There we go. Memorability. If we're talking on memorability. Is is either between Shrek or Transformers? Sorry, Joe. Okay. So the one to Hamish was absolutely right. I wrote the one to beat was C ones with Shrek two, and they did have a, a really good argument. I would say like I've been color coding my tallies so far. And um, every time someone has made a point against someone else, it's a little red tally. And um, this one has had the most red tallies. You guys were just ripping into each other the whole time, which is great. Um, Content. I think... Exactly, exactly. I think most of these red tallies were towards Hamish. Um, tore a lot of arguments down for him. Um, so for me, it was between Joe and Siwan. And I think... Joe's mention about the vibe of the movie is really important when it comes to a soundtrack. And I think for that reason, Joe is going to get the point here. Again, a soundtrack that I didn't really think about. When he picked that first, I was a bit confused because I thought there were a lot of better soundtracks, but I think Joe, Joe had the best argument there. So Joe is taking the point there. Yeah. And that means that Joe is going to be going through to the speed round. 
Can I make a quick suggestion that you all go and put on uh, "I'm Your Boogeyman" right now on Spotify? No. Not after, oh, not after reading the synopsis for Boogie Nights. I'm good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're into the final round. Joe is through to the speed round, and it's between Hamish and Siwan to see who will meet him there. God, um, not me. We're gonna have a rematch. We've done this argument before, but I think with new people, this could be a lot of fun. So, The Room is a masterpiece of bad filmmaking, and we have one man to truly thank for its existence, Tommy Wiseau. The man is an enigma, and this allows him to slip into any role perfectly. But what I want to know is, what is the worst role for Tommy Wiseau to play? Very broad question. What is the worst role for Tommy Wiseau to play? And Hamish, you got first pick. I've chosen the T-800 from Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Very specific. Um, I mean, like, the Terminator movies have so many in them now. But the whole thing with the T-800 is that it's the protector. It's a robot. It has a little bit of real steel in it, dare I say. It's a robot that's gained sentience. And it is there to protect John Connor. And by the end of that movie, you know, it's saying goodbye to Arnie's character. And it's, it is heart-touching. Um, but can you imagine Tommy Wiseau doing that? I, I feel as if it's like Steven Seagal when he was asked to play um, the Predator 2 protagonist, to which he then responded, I'll only play the character if he's an FBI-CIA hybrid agent that knows Aikido. Like, can you imagine Tommy Wiseau playing the T-800? It's meant to be an emotionless robot that somehow, like, gives you that spark of emotion that just isn't there. Tommy Wiseau, it would be like getting sucked off by, like... I can't say that. It would be like... <laughs> like, your soul drained from you. It would be the most depressing experience. Because to convey that lack of emotion, you've got to be, like... So, you've, you've got to have talent. Tommy Wiseau, it's... John Connor, no. Get away, John Connor. Like, come on. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do an impression with my <laughs> Oh, no, you definitely can. <laughs> um, Siwan, uh, what was your pick? Then? I've gone with Edna Mode from The Incredibles films. Don't even get me started on the fact that he's too tall. But, you know, she is just a little ball of icon, right? Every scene she's in, she steals. She just, you know, she riffs off all the, all the characters, but, you know, she adds a bit, she adds actually a bit of heartfelt to when she's with, you know, with them. She's trying to big Helen up, um, and yet she's still, you know, no capes. I, I cannot see Tommy Wiseau yelling no capes. I cannot see him pulling off. No capes. <laughs> no capes. No capes! <laughs> well, like, yeah, like, imagine applying him to um, it. Um... Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. Is that the end of your point? But yeah, I, just, I don't see him being able to play that little ball of sunshine. I... My, my... And... Oh, sorry, I thought this was, like, a back and forth. No, it is not. Joe has not been introduced. He's already oh, won. He's already through. Hi, I'm Joe. No, he's, st he's still in this argument. Oh. And he can win this. Yeah. He'll just have a head start oh. in the speed round, and then we'll have to do a uh, tiebreaker. Oh. 
Um, Joe, what was your choice? So my choice for the worst role Tommy Wiseau could play is Stephen Hawking. This well-respected, genius, theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author who had a slow-progressing form of motor neuron disease and would inevitably be paralysed. And you want him to be played by Tommy Wiseau. Do you know how disrespectful and offensive that is going to be? Um, is this in uh, the theory of everything? Yes. Not in real life. In, in the film, yes. Just, just make it sure. <laughs> um, okay. Fantastic. We've got some interesting choices. Now I will open it up to a w- wider discussion. Go for it. Your time starts now. I think with some on your argument, um, Edna Mode, like, I think she works whenever she's like, I, I'd still get a kick out of Tommy Wiseau being like, no camps! Like, I, I'd get I a kick out of Tommy Wiseau yeah. playing anyone, except no, Stephen Hawking. No, I, no, I wouldn't get a kick out of Tommy Wiseau in the room. No, but, true. Um, no, I but think like, I'd like to get kicked. No, but you said um, that, you said that the, what, what is it, the T-1000? The T-800. That one. You said that it's an, you know, it's a robot, but it adds a bit of half. I will say, Tommy Wiseau does seem like a robot. However, when he yelled, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, that, I felt something, I didn't, but I, you know, you can see. So you didn't, the did emotion. you, didn't you? You can see that he's trying. You can see that he's trying to add some, you know, emotions. And you said itself, you're, it's a, it's a robot that doesn't have emotion. He could play that. That's just Tommy Wiseau. Exactly. He could I'm play a so robot. I'm not sure. I, I, I think what you're mistaking Tommy Wiseau being emotionless for is Tommy Wiseau not being able to act. Um, Still works. No, I don't think it does. I think I think it works because it's got an intent... The T-800 character works because it's got an incredible actor behind it. It is the worst role at the end of the day. And, Who played it? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, we're still talking about Arnie. Okay. I, I, and I think in Joe's case, I will contest with him on that. Because I think the idea of Tommy Wiseau playing Stephen Hawking mm. is like, Ugh! you know. Um, but yeah, that I, I you've also got to weigh up. No, but I you've think all... also with also with yours, C1, um, yours is animation, so you don't actually see Tommy Wiseau; That's you true. just hear him. So the, the 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 argument of he's too tall doesn't come into it. I don't think Brad yeah. Bird is the size of Edna Mode. Um, on, so on, <laughs> on Joe's argument. Um, I think that we're looking at this as in like, you know, because like Stephen Hawking has suffered with what Stephen Hawking has suffered. I think we're we're looking at it. I, I think we're giving a lot of weight to what Stephen Hawking has been through, but not like approaching it anywhere else to the wards of the role. I th- subtlety is not Tommy Wiseau's thing. So if he was if he was playing to- if he was playing Stephen Hawkins, it, he'd he'd go over the top with the mannerisms of like the the symptoms of uh, motor neurone disease. Um, and also, I can guarantee you, he'd ensure that there would be nude scenes in that film. Like ten percent of the movie, like ten percent of the room is nude scenes. But you're suggesting that he's I, I, directing I mean, I... the film. He didn't direct. No, but when you bring Tommy Wiseau on a project, the project he does he would change. have some influence because apparently he's quite hard to work with. Yeah. So I can assure you, he would try and change things on set I, as well. I, I will apply that exact point to my own movie, 
Um, there is a very unfortunately already a rather, I believe it's a uh, the T1000 in th uh, T3, um, which is a female Terminator who is a, a, always clad in red leather. Um, can you imagine Tommy Wiseau being left on a set with a obviously like hypersexualized woman um, in a lot of scenes where his clothes burn off and he's left practically naked? And he has to wrestle is, with them. Is Can your you argument that Tommy Wiseau is going to sexually assault an actor? No, I'm saying that he was probably going to push for some weird oh, fucking oh, scenes. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying he's going to push for some weird shit. Just like the way you just pushed for that argument. I think on, on the subject of that, um, in, during The Room, Tommy Wiseau was like, um, we he, he said... Um, uh, I want my car to fly off the roof and into the sky. It's just possible side plot. Maybe Johnny is vampire. He would add stuff in during production. He would ensure that Stephen Hawking is a vampire in the film. You know, big plot twist. I don't know. I just feel that, you know, Stephen Hawking is such, it's such a pivotal and established figure in history, this, this genius. And to get Tommy Wiseau to play him would just be so incredibly disrespectful to him. He'd, he'd sort of... He'd ham it up. He'd... Uh, he wouldn't be subtle about it. He'd like screw up all the mannerisms. It it just would it it wouldn't be respectful, and that's my main point of. Okay, um, I think with Joe's point, it's coming from a space of respect for someone who's passed, um, which I don't know if that's fair to consider, seeing that our stories are fiction and his is non-fiction. Um, I think if it was on any movie where someone has died and has suffered with a horrendous disease, that's going to hold more weight than a fictional character. Um, which I think is a point that we should recognise. I think Edna Mode works because she's over the top, and I don't, I don't doubt for a second that Tommy Wiseau does over the top quite well. I think it comes down to acting ability, and in my own opinion conveying emotion through being emotionless and doing it well to the point that it works um, is not something that Tommy Wiseau can do. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he could He could pull it out of the bag. You don't know. <laughs> in my... I, I, as, Joe, as Joe has said as well, he's a bit weird on set. He likes pushing for like weird scenes. Wait, but no, that's the thing. You guys keep pushing that he's weird to work with. That's nothing to do with the performance that he would do as these characters. You keep saying, you know, he'd want no, to add I'm... this. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be able to play these characters, though. No, but I have also, in all my other points, outlined how he cannot play this character. Um... Can you imagine Tommy Wiseau forming a fatherly bond with someone? Yes, he did with um, what do you call him, Denny. That was okay. that was emotional stuff. I'm not I'm not sure that was. Um, I mean, it was. As as... It actually was. No. I watched. I sadly watched it the other day for this. I'm I did homework. Sure. I regret it fully. But he did yeah. have a if fatherly have, bond. If we can have some final arguments from each of you closing statements i just don't think he'd be able to capture like the eccentric charisma that is edna mode like it just wouldn't work and i i don't know maybe he could play a blinking robot not gonna lie he is he seems robotic so i don't i wouldn't put it past him i think that 
whilst you say about the robotic point, it's the idea about the robot achieving some sort of human feeling and human emotion. And I think that's what makes it work. And I don't think Tommy Wiseau can get that step over from, you know, achieving that human emotion. Um, as a side note, um, I'll reiterate what Joe said is one's live action, one's animated. Um, I think Tommy Wiseau does charismatic, but he doesn't do charisma. No, sorry, not charismatic. No, he does eccentric, but not charisma. Um, I have no doubt that he would ask for there to be a side plot where Edna Mode flies off into the sunset in her car, and she's also a vampire. But, yeah, he's just... I, I can maybe see him screaming the no capes, but I can't see him having those heartfelt, like, bonding moments that the T-800 goes through. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Alex, was there anything to fact check on that no. one? No. There was no real, there was no real um, big claims made. It was all kind of a lot, re really subjective. So, I, I caught one. Hamish, um, you mentioned the T one thousand. That is uh, Robert Patrick from oh, T two. Oh, is that T two? Um, it's t the T X. Oh, I is do the apologize. Female Terminator in T three. Um, I think obviously Joe had the best <laughs> idea, but he just didn't run with it enough. There wasn't enough in there. Um, to suggest that this was the worst thing possible. Uh, I think he should have really hammered that home, so Joe, for this, has not got this point. Um, and so it's between you guys, uh, Hamish and Siwan, and I think that Hamish just had more to say, uh, kind of had you on, um, on every point. So I'm going to give the final point and the last place in the speed round to Hamish. Does that mean I don't have to argue anymore? It does. Fuck yes. <laughs> so Hamish and Joe are through to the speed round. Um, Siwan, thank you very much. You've been really great in this. Um, you were close on a couple, but in the end, you are not the ultimate fighting champion. No, other, other, you no, are no, the weakest link. I can't have a League of Regions. Good night. <laughs> you are not the ultimate film challenger. Uh, you're trapped! Oh, God. Forever! Uh, um, that scared me as a kid. You do still have a role in this podcast, though, so don't worry. You will be joining me and Alex in judging who wins the speed round. Welcome back to the speed round. Now, we have a list of questions that Joe and Hamish will both be able to answer. Um, they will each get a turn to answer the question. They'll get 30 seconds each uh, to answer this question. Um, the other will have 30 seconds and then they will each have a 15 second rebuttal um, to argue back anything the last person said. Um, the questions can either be um, one or the other or they can be open. So you have to take a minute and think about your options and give me an answer. And then you've got to fight that answer. Do you understand the rules, gentlemen? Yes. Yes. So the first question in the speed round will be what is the best Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Whoever answers first gets to go first. Hamish. Uh, Django Unchained. Django Unchained. Joe, what would your choice be? I I thought you were going to give us choices. I can't remember any films that he's nope. been in. Well, you've got to think <laughs> quickly. Give me, a sec. give me a sec. Inception. Inception. Good options. So... Hamish, you have 30 seconds on your own 
to explain why Django Unchained is the best Leonardo DiCaprio movie. And your time starts now. Django Unchained, uh, it's both movies that we've said aren't necessarily Leonardo movies. Um, they have a fantastically wide cast full of different characters. And I think in this case, he plays a phenomenal villain. It's not just like he performs so well under um, the director who I, the name is slipping my mind right now. Um, Tarantino. Tarantino, thank you. Um, he's he's just a fantastic villain. You hate him. You don't like sympathize with the time. Villain. Ooh. Ooh. Joe, you have thirty seconds to explain why Inception <laughs> is the best. Time starts now. So not only is, is Inception a really good movie, but it has a, a really great cast, which is led by Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, not only did it create one of the most well-known memes of that shot of him talking to Killian Murphy. But he's just, he, he's a captivating uh, lead to watch throughout. Um, there's a wide range of emotions that he performs, especially with his struggle with the loss of his wife. Um, Christopher Nolan did a great, had a great idea of choosing him as the lead because um, he, he's just so captivating throughout. And yeah, I think he, he really That's leads That's time. Um, and Hamish, you have 15 seconds to respond, starting now. Plenty of memes have come from both movies. Inception's inherently a movie where people rub their head forehead and complain that it's too complicated and it hurts their brains. Uh, Django doesn't. I think inherently it's a better movie. And that's time. Joe, you have 15 seconds. The thing is, though, Leonardo DiCaprio isn't one of the main. Well, isn't really a main character in Django Unchained. Um, he hasn't got the most screen time, um, but in in Inception, he he really leads it. And although it, you may see it as confusing, he helps to ease that confusion with his his captivation and his great acting. And that's time. Ooh, okay. I don't um, like this. Siwan, what what do you think? I like how bringing up memes was a part of that argument. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, why is that part of the argument? Um, they both um, argued pretty well. Who do you think should get the point? Because um, this is now a voting system. There's three of us. Oh, fuck sex. Um, is it... Okay, right. The question is, is it like the best film or the best portrayal that Leo does? What's It's the best Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Okay. Um, they both argued pretty well. And they are both very, very good films. Um... Oh, I don't know. How do you do this? Alex, do you have any Yeah, ideas? no, I, I'm gonna kind of agree with um, Hamish on this one because like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is memorable in Django, but from Inception, he's kind of just a kind of just a dude. So... I was gonna back Hamish up as well there. Um, he had some really good points about how, how memorable the movie is and how the movie is with Leo because he is the heart of it. Joe tried to come up with a point saying he's not one of the lead characters and that's just not true. Well, I, I would like to add now, so. I've not seen Django Unchanged. I don't know what it's about and I haven't seen Inception in years. <laughs> it was just the first one I saw. You need to watch Django. So Hamish gets that point. Hamish is up 3-2. How exciting. The next question in the speed round. We've got a bargain pin pick. So these two movies are in the bargain bin in your shop and you've got to pick one to watch. The options are, uh, Joe is going to pick first because Hamish picked first last time. The picks are Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman. I'm going to go with Rocketman. 
So Hamish, that means you've got Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't say that. Why have you said that? Why have you said that? Don't tell us that. Um, so, Joe, you've got to tell us why Rocketman is better than Bohemian Rhapsody in 30 seconds, starting now. So Rocketman is a really great film. It's visually appealing. Um, it's it's so creatively directed. You have actual music numbers and like dance sequences, uh, which is really fitting for like the the, the uh, for Elton John. Uh, Tarrant Ed Edgston gives an amazing performance, uh, especially when compared to um, uh, Rami Malek's performance as Freddie Mercury, who I think is pretty lackluster. Um, and it's a more accurate depiction of Elton John's life. It's it doesn't depict anything that didn't happen. It's the truth. And that's time. Okay, Hamish, you have 30 seconds to give on Bohemian Rhapsody starting now. Phenomenal. Never seen this movie. However, I also know it got critically acclaimed. Um, and whilst I enjoyed Rocketman, it does drag. It does drag. And I can't say anything for Bohemian on that front. But I feel as if Rocketman goes on a little bit long. It does. And yeah, I, it, for anyone who likes Queen, it's a brilliant Queen movie from what I hear. Um, as is Elton John's a good movie for Elton John it really comes down to your personal preference um, and that's time uh, so Joe you have 15 seconds to respond starting now you do say the film does drag but I don't believe it does there's just a lot of stuff to fit in you know um, Elton John's drug use all of his you know the start of his career um, his his homosexuality him dealing with the fallout of uh, boyfriends and relationships and that's time uh, Hamish, you have 15 seconds to um, argue back, starting now. Uh, first of all, Rami Malek, incredibly talented actor. From what I've seen of the trailers of this movie, he's, he does excellently in it. I won't hear a word against him. However, I do think the movie drags. The second third of that movie is absolutely painful to watch. The final third, I mean. And that's time. Okay, interesting arguments. Alex, we'll go to you first. Um... I'm. Do you know what? But he, he, Hamish never said anything positive about Bohemian Rhapsody, but he did say a lot of negatives about Rocket Man, which I agree with. So, I, yeah, it's it's it. He's gone for the approach of uh, shitting on a film, and it's kind of worked. So, Siwan, what are you thinking? Yeah, I agree with Alex. Like he didn't exactly say anything in support of Bohemian Rhapsody, but it worked in trying. You know, in. Oh, what's wow. the and he and Joe said he fucking thought that Remy Malek yeah, was bad. Yeah, that's true. That's Excuse true. You me. didn't say that. That's bad. That's the main point as to why I'm disagreeing with you. Listen, I didn't think this would happen. Uh, I was gonna give the point to Joe because he actually spoke about his movie. But all right, if you guys are giving it to Hamish, Hamish takes the dub on that one. <laughs> Wait, Joe, do you actually I'm think sorry. Remy Malek did bad? His teeth annoy me. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay, we'll move on then to the next the next uh, the next question. Um, we've got three more questions, but we might only need one more. So the next one I'll pick will be um, Hamish gets to pick first. What is the best movie from the Cornetto trilogy? Um, I'm gonna have to go Hot Fuzz. Okay, I'm going to delete and, what I've just written. And Joe, what is your favourite from the other two? Shaun of the Dead. Okay, Hamish, you have 30 seconds to explain why Hot Fuzz is the best, starting now. Hot Fuzz takes a look at the English countryside, the mon 
the mundane life of the English world and completely flips it on its head. It is an excellent satire on cop movies, the whole city cop life being thrown into a mundane little town that we all know, we've all been in them, Swan lives in one, and yeah, it turns that, and it's a phenomenal movie when you piece all those things together. It shouldn't work, but it does. It does, and all the actors are phenomenal in it. It's quoted so much. Not another and one. that's time. Joe, you got 30 seconds for Shaun of the Dead, starting now. Shaun of the Dead is a stellar movie with stellar cast. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are great leads. For a low-budget film, it really feels grand in scale. The zombie prosthetics are amazing, and there's some genuine scares. Some actually really funny bits, and there's so many like repeating, interlinking, interlinking bits of uh, story that are repeated at the beginning and the end. It, it all links together. Um, it's shot amazingly, and um, there are some great cameos from Reese Smith. Um, Matt Lucas, uh, a great performance from his mum as well. It's just an amazing film, and it's a great start to the Cornetto trilogy. And time. Hamish, you get 15 seconds to re- for a rebuttal, starting now. Your point on cast, uh, your phenomenal cast, which was your big talking point, was cameos. Uh, his mum being in the movie, which albeit did well. Uh, and also Nick Frost and the the other guy. The, the two guys that are in every single one of the movie. It's, it's not like... It's, it's not a That's big time. thing. <laughs> They're in First all of them. Uh, and uh, Joe, you got 15 seconds starting now. I think the fact that you forgot the name of one of the lead actors is not a good point. Um, but Shaun the Dead is so much better because um, you, you didn't actually mention any of the cast in yours. So you, do you not remember them? But in our one, you've got, um, you've got so many Time. great... Time! Wa- mm. that, that's a tough question. It's a tough question. And you both did really well. I'll be honest, guys. I'm leaning towards Joe. Yeah. What do you guys think? Can I also fact check that I don't live in a small town like that is in Hot I do. I do. Hamish just forgot Simon Pegg's name. That's you outrageous. You should have said I'm Alex. Hung- I do. You know the people around me. Right. We'll move on then. We've got two more questions left and... It's still game point to Hamish. He is up four to three. And the the second to last question we have is, Joe gets to pick first. If everyone here, so there's five of us, there's me, Xander, Alex, Joe, Hamish, and Siwan. If everyone here was in a slasher movie, who would die first? (laughs) And Joe, you get to pick. Who, Who I think would die first? Who you think out of the five of us would die first, and you got to argue that? It's the speed round. <laughs> okay, but there's no, there's no, there's no pressure on choosing quickly, is there? Well, ideally, yes. We all want to go home. I would go with C one. C one. Okay, and Hamish, who would die first in your slasher movie? Alex. Alex. Oh, I see a theme! Okay, Joe, um, for C1 to die first in the slasher movie, you have 30 seconds to explain your reasoning, starting now. I feel like C1 would go up to to them and apologise to them. They'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, and then they'd be slashed to death. Um, <laughs> although she is a fast runner, I don't. I think she'd like just run into a corner. She wouldn't be good with geography. The slasher would just get her. Um... Oh no, I fucked it! Oh no! Um, she's in a small. T- <laughs> no! <laughs> I don't know what to say! 
And that's time. Hamish, you have 30 seconds to explain on Alex, and your time starts now. I ask a lot of people hypothetical questions all the time, and every time I give one to Alex, it is, I'd kill myself. This is a hypothetical <laughs> question. If I, Alex, what would happen if you were in a zombie apocalypse? I don't know, Hamish, I'd kill myself. I think they're going to off themselves. They're going to off themselves before the slasher gets to them. They're going to find out, oh, I'm in a Michael Myers movie. <laughs> Like, they're just going <laughs> to put their brains out. Like, it's, it's a given. It's true. Like, I do. It's true. And that's time. That's time. Joe, <laughs> Joe, you have 15 seconds for a rebuttal starting now. The problem with that is, in the question, did you say they have to be killed by the slasher? Because Alex would not be killed by the slasher. They'd kill themselves. So one would actually be killed by the slasher themselves because, because they're, of their stupidity. And that's time. Hamish, you're 15 seconds starting now. Rebuttal. Alex might not have a way to commit suicide. They might just run to the killer. Furthermore, Sawan <laughs> has actually watched quite a few horror movies, and I think she's got some survival instincts in her, despite being polite. <laughs> and that's time. Joe, what happened? <laughs> See, going off of what Alex said, I do actually want to kill myself now. So... <laughs> So um, I, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm giving the point there to Hamish. Yeah. What are you? I didn't. Yeah. Joe, you, li you literally could have chosen yourself and do <laughs> do the exact same point. I didn't actually believe in any of what I said. I was just like, Oh, Hamish does. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, there we have it then. As a score five three, Hamish walks away as the ultimate film combatty. Um, only only because I would kill myself in every scenario. You Hamish won because you would kill yeah, yourself, Alex. Yeah. Can can I can I ask what the final If anything, Alex was should get a point. If it went to game point. Um Well it wouldn't have because the, there's the, five the questions. There's the the, the final the final question was um it's another bargain bin pick and it was Alien Three or Predator Two. Alien Predator 3. Two. Predator Two. Predator Two. Paul McGann's in Alien Three. There we go. Well, it doesn't matter. It's all over. Hamish has won, and you know what that means? He gets to uh, be the top of the description this week. Hamish, <gasps> that has wrapped up the entire show. Hamish has won. Do you you think you could do better? If you do, send us some questions, and we'll do another one. And maybe switch up the um, the organisation a little bit. Can I be the um, researcher? We yeah. we hope you all enjoyed it. Did Hamish win um, rightfully, or should Siwan have been in the speed round with Joe, or should Joe have just not been here at all? Let us know your thoughts. Send us them on Instagram or Twitter, or leave them as the um, comments on Spotify that you can now do. Hamish, thank you so much for being our winner today. Uh, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Beaten Hamish because Hamish Beaten was taken. Or, like I always say, if you stop taking your meds, I'm in your walls. Fantastic. Joe, a great <coughs> runner-up. Thank you very much for being here. You fought valiantly. Where can the people I, find you? I didn't. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Cook11Joseph, YouTube Rebel Whovian, Instagram JoeCook underscore digital artist. Fantastic. And Suwan... You came third, but there has to be. It's still a bronze medal. Um, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at C101, but I don't particularly post much. But you can also find me in Letterboxd at C10s, where I try to be funny. Fantastic. Thank you. 
And Alex, our wonderful fact checker, thank you very much for keeping these guys in line today. Where can the people find you? You can find you can find me on Twitter um, at filmmeandpod one, the official filmmeing podcast, where I bitch and I moan about Xander. It's because you don't. It's because you don't. Oh, that that was it. That was that was all you were saying. Okay, cool. It's because yeah, it's because you don't pay me. I was I'm sucking my guts out all day today because you wouldn't pay me. That's it. Can 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 one of your posts for this be like the gif of the RoboCop two one that just blows its brains out? Yeah. I, I mean, I already tweeted out saying, "Say, I tweeted out saying I'm late to the recording because I work because Xander won't pay me." <laughs> um, thank you to Shay who made the theme tune. If you want to check him out on Twitter, the link is in the description. Uh, we love the theme and we're really happy with it. So thank you very much. If you want to hear more from us, go back through our back catalogue. We've got loads of episodes that we put a lot of effort into, and we hope you enjoy them. Check out our Instagram page and our Twitter page, which the Twitter page is run by Alex. The Instagram page is run by me. And Joe makes incredible posts every week. Um, so make sure you're checking those out and giving them the, the love they deserve. Next week, we will be returning to the greatest of all time tournament and finally doing some matchups for it. We're very excited. So make sure you are there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Ultimate Film Combat. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.